This is iFanboy Pick of the Week 896, brought to you by iFanboy listeners just like you who are washing their hands and wearing their masks where it's appropriate. <coughs> hey, Jimmy's coming down across the alleyway. Up on the boulevard like a zip gun on parade. Lights on the silhouette. He's just a butternet. Coming at you on the count of Hello, my name is Connor Kilpatrick, and sitting in for my co-host Josh Flanagan this week is old pal Jim Richkowski. Who? And welcome to iFanboy Pick of the Week, episode 896. It's appropriate, Jim, I thought, that you're here. We're sliding into our 900th episode in a month. And last (laughs) week we had Paul Montgomery... You know, oh, we have Ryan Haupt regularly on, so it's like old home week this I was going to say, I see how it is. Well, well, when this gets posted on the socials, <laughs> if you listeners could do me a solid and reply with either, oh, look who's back, or who, who? in the hell? <laughs> I'd love to see how many old timers are still out there. So Jim was one of our premier columnists back in the old days of iFanboy when we had a daily website content. He was our lead Monday columnist. I knew I always knew, Jim, that when I woke up Monday afternoon, because back then I would sleep <laughs> in the afternoon, yes. that I would wake up to 100 comments on your column, either <laughs> right. trying to tear each other's throats out or mm-hmm. or having an interesting discussion about whatever it is you wrote. So Jim uh, was part of the old crew that I fanboy occasionally came on into the show. And it's been a long time since you've been in the podcast. Yes, we were just talking. Uh, this was the last thing I did before the world shut down. I, I was on the I was on the December 2019 show, and uh, you know, cursed uh, everything to follow. I'm glad you're back, and you're also a noted Marvel zombie. So hopefully, <laughs> it is. Every time I come on, I try to be well rounded, and I always end up being like, my pick is Howard the Duck number 16, and you know, so it's um. Well, let's do the little opening here that we can get into it. Oh, yeah. So every week, one of us picks the book they like the best from the stack of comics. We call that the pick of the week. We go in to talk about that book, the other books of the week, the patron pick, and hopefully we'll have some time for listener mail, which we try to make for, but we don't always get there. <laughs> Here's your spoiler warning. It's a review show. Excessive caution. I actually have the pick this week, but it was a very strange week, Jim. I mm. I kept looking at the calendar to see if it was the end of the month. It felt like a fifth week. The fifth week, yeah. I think I had... Four Marvel books, three DC books, and like three indies. It was Mm -hmm. a very small but also strange week. But in that stack of books, I had several enjoyable books. I think I had three comics I considered for pick of the week. Yeah. And we'll talk about all three of them on the show. But at the end of the day, Daredevil, number 662, or the new number one. Which doesn't make any sense. It is so funny. It it was, yes, because it was a strange week for me too, because when iFanboy ceased its daily publications, I used that as my off-ramp from the treadmill, you know, like the weekly. Yeah, yeah. that's a good question. Are you still been reading? Have you still been? I am still reading, but once you get off the treadmill, you give yourself permission to take your sweet time. And I actually, I, I looked at the Marvel Unlimited app. They stopped putting a number on it, but I finally sat down and counted. I have 300 books to read or 300 books bookmarked from 2021. So I'm I'm a little behind, but I do keep up with some things. Like I got current on Darth Vader this week and I ran around the house looking for my medal ceremony because I haven't done that in so long. (laughs) But the thing that is funny about it is that every time I look, I look and I I see what I'm behind on and I, I see, well, I've got Daredevil number one, two, three. Wait, how many? 
I have six Daredevil number ones. Like, <laughs> I don't know what it if is. If you're so far behind, you've got multiple number ones waiting yes. for you, then you might need to reconsider whether or not you actually want to read the book. Let's talk about this one, though. <laughs> right. Daredevil has had several reboots in you know recent time. And by recent time, I mean the last 20 years, because that's my brain considers to yeah. be recent. Mm-hmm. And normally, I feel like when they do a, a number one reboot, it's sort of like a status quo change. Certainly, there was the tonal shift of the Mark Wade Chris Somney status quo change. Sure. We had several in there, and then we had Chip Zdarsky and Marco Cicchetto, for the most part, doing their volume, which lasted for a few years. This leads directly from the end of that run, in which (sighs) Matt dies, ostensibly, and is reborn with no memory of his old life, and then Electra now patrols Hell's Kitchen as Daredevil. This is basically picking up from like the next day of that last Chip Zdarsky run. Oh, wow. That's slightly different than the last one. It really is just the next issue, which is why the one is even dumber, because <laughs> it's not even like a status quo change. So right. this is Salad Ahmed and Aaron Cooter and Jesus Abertoff and Clayton Cowles on creative team. I've been reading Daredevil since probably the late 80s in some form or yeah. fashion. And so I was going to check it out no matter what. I like Salad Ahmed. I don't love him, but I haven't, I haven't found a book to love yet. I'm not saying I won't. Mm-hmm. And I've certainly read enough of them, but I've enjoyed them. And yeah. Aaron Cooter is just terrific. And let's just be real. He's not going to draw all these issues. No, 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 no. I feel like what they should do with an artist that we all know, everyone knows that he's not going to be able to do all the comics. Yeah. Why not make an official art team, right? Why not announce, hey, it's out on met Aaron Cooter and this other artist who's going to do every mm-hmm. four or five issues. Like, we know it. Yeah. We all know it. <laughs> Anyone who's still reading comics at this point knows exactly how it all works. And Aaron Cooter for sure. And he's great. And I, I'm not complaining he's not going to do it. But like we all know, the last time I think I saw him on a regular lo- that's not true. I mean, it could be true. My brain is t- turning too much. Yeah. But I think about him on Action Comics, and he did a good portion of those issues, but he didn't do all of them. And there's nothing wrong with that. Just tell us ahead of time who the other artist is going to be. It just yeah. might be a nice little push. Anyway, I was excited to see him on Daredevil. I mean, we saw him on Thor. We saw him on Superman, two very sort of big, bombastic Mm-hmm. You know, books. This is a very dark street level comic. And I really liked how this issue looked quite a bit. He's a very clean look. Yeah. And it's a nice balance. I mean, it's representational without being cartoony. And yep. I spent most of the book trying to remember why I knew his name, which I think is because of Guardians <laughs> of the Galaxy. Um, oh, right. Yeah. He did Jerry that book Levin too. Was That's right. Yeah. Did he do the escapists? I don't know why you would. No, that, that was Philip oh, okay. Bond. Oh, yeah. Okay. Similar style. That was also like 17 years ago. Yeah, shut up. <laughs> no, no, I just think it's funny you went right there. Yeah, right. So the story of this book is that Matt Murdock is a priest. He's helping to run a uh, – well, uh, first of all, I think I'm going to lean on you a bit here for some of these details, yeah. Jim. <laughs> I kind of expected that. Is that weird? No. Uh, yeah. I, just, I mean, I don't want to out you, but right. you're probably much more averse in this than I am. Um, yes. He's running a – I guess, is it like a mission or a halfway house for these kids? What is What would this be? Uh, yeah, I mean, youth they, home. They, it's a youth they, home. Yeah, they used to. This used to be a lot more common. When I read it, I was like, well, I mean, I know this book is set in an era when Hell's Kitchen was a was a hellhole, but I don't right. know if they do this anymore. <laughs> like, it's yeah. been a while. I also thought it was funny though, just since we're talking about the faith, yeah. that he exercises a demon by doing a prayer that they give you on on like day one. Well. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, if I know the prayer, you're not going to get a demon out of there with it. That's why you're here to give me all the Catholic knowledge. (laughs) That's what I am. A Catholic expert. We were the Easter Christmas Catholics. So I don't know. Ah, I see. So he's running this youth home for, you know, troubled kids with his other priest. And they have a little bit of an issue with one of the girls' boyfriends Mm -hmm. showing up. Matt goes out to confront them. His daredevil training kicks in. He beats up all the thugs. And, you know, he's a little freaked out. And eventually he is confronted by Electra, who is inhabited by this demon 
and I was both repulsed and fascinated by how they drew it. I thought that was great. I can't, it is so nice when you see something after doing this since, you know, 1983 to see something that you've never seen anybody do before. The way that thing puppeted Electra was a new thing. It was fascinating. So she is yeah. a regular sized person and this demon is like twice as big or maybe even more. And, but her, his head is on her, her shoulders taking over her head, but then his body sort of drags behind her and it was, both horrifying and fascinating all at once. Yeah, it was like she was a, a, a puppet Yeah, that he was piloting with his head. It was equal parts creepy and <laughs> visually interesting and a little lunch ruining. But And know. so, as Jim said, Matt uh, ends up exercising the demon. For all you hardcore Catholics, he said the act of contrition. Maybe it's not a very powerful demon. <laughs> I guess not. And so with the demon gone, he is sort of kind of awoken and he reclaims his Daredevil costume to classic. He's been wearing the blouse ninja pants for years. Oh, yeah. So he's back in the classic spandex Daredevil costume on the roof. And that's kind of where it ends. We don't know where it's yeah. going from there. But I just thought as a table setter, I thought priest, look, Catholicism has always been a major part of Matt's story and character. Definitely. However, how far into it we delve changes from run to run. Mm-hmm. We've been delving into it pretty deep for a while. Chip Zdarsky's run was all about it. Mark Wade's was less so. I don't remember who was between those two. Bendis and Brubaker was not really at all. Not exactly. really at all. Yeah. This run feels like it's clearly going to be staying in that direction. Although, I feel like maybe it's time to tap the brakes. Just pull back a little bit. That we have done, definitely. I mean, not to this extent. No. But having said that, I kind of liked Matt as a priest. It was interesting. It was a twist on his character. I don't know if he's going to stay. We don't know what his reclaiming his memory and reclaiming Daredevil means for the rest of his life. It's literally like the, like the last page cliffhanger. So we don't know what that yeah. means. If it's just this issue, I thought it was interesting. I thought it was fun. It looked beautiful. The, the Aaron Cooter art was dynamic. He does these great action panels. And again, the demon possessing Electra was weird and creepy and interesting. And it just was one of the best looking books of the week. The Jesus Abertoff colors really pop. I just had a lot of fun with this issue. And I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what comes from it. I agree with that. And considering how hard I rolled my eyes when they cut to him wearing that collar, I think that is, if you don't mind me saying so, something of a miracle. Because I really really didn't think I was going to go for that. But they hooked me right away. Unlike you, like now, because I'm not on the aforementioned treadmill, my rule Mm -hmm. is I try to play by like 1985 rules when I come on this show. Like the way that I would walk into a store, buy something because the cover looked interesting, read it cold, see if I could figure out what's going on, see if I want to read more, see if I want to go back and see how we got here. And this ticked every single one of those boxes. Even for somebody who has like a three-year backlog on Daredevil, I finished this and I was like, oh, I can't wait to go back and find out how all this happened. It wasn't the most innovative and fresh take on Daredevil, but it felt very classic and it yeah. felt very fun. And it was also oversized. It was I think like almost 40 pages. It's hard to tell digitally in these days. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. Also, I want to mention that John Romita Jr. did the cover. He's also listed as the cover artist for the next issue. Normally, I think we can all agree that it's better to have the interior artist for the covers. But if sometimes it's mm-hmm. good to have like a dedicated cover artist like Alex Ross on Fantastic Four right now or yeah, And if you're going to do one for Daredevil, I think Ramita is obviously an amazing choice. He has such a oh, long yeah. history in the character. The cover is terrific for this issue. I'm fine with him being the dedicated cover artist for Daredevil if that's what they're going to oh, do. Oh, yeah, yeah. If I get to look at John Ramita drawings of Daredevil, I don't have much to complain about. Now, do you – I'm going to do grandpa breaks throughout this thing. Do you remember when we used to publish on iFanboy.com what a controversy it was that the cover artist was not – 
giving you what you could expect on the interior. Sure. This is one yeah. of the things we used to argue about back when there was such a thing as lateness mm-hmm. and all of that nonsense. But yeah, I'm so over that. Any opportunity to take in good art is A-OK by me. So another book that I considered for a bit for pick of the week was Danger Street, book nine, the uh, Tom King, oh, Jorge yes. Fornes, Dave Stewart, Clayton Cowles issue. And I saw before I read it on Instagram that Tom King said, this is my bottle issue. A bottle episode of a TV show is when part of the cast or the cast is stuck in one set and doesn't leave and just we just deal with them, you know, sort of stuck in a situation. So here yeah. we've been leading to this fight. And what's really funny about this fight between Manhunter and someone else I don't know this guy's name because you just said you were treated this like 1985. In 1985, yes. they would have referenced his name. That's right. There would have been footnotes telling you everything. Or at that least happened. the other character would have said, "Oh, I'm finally here, Bob." But we yes. don't know who Bob is, and I mean, they said it. I just don't. My brain is turning to mush, as I said. I feel so included because I, I expected not to know who Bob was, <laughs> but for you not to know, that makes me feel. I mean, like I I'm, know who he is. He's been the bodyguard of this other character the whole time. I just forget yeah. what his name is. It doesn't matter. The point is. Right. Manhunter has showed up to kill this evil kid. This is this bodyguard. We've been coming towards this fight the entire time. And so now what we have here is basically a 30-page sword fight between Manhunter and Bob. A 30-page what now? (laughs) (laughs) That's more of a 30-page philosophical discussion with sword fighting Mm -hmm. and also a stop in the middle for a parlay. And it was slightly exhausting. That was a lot of $10 words. But I appreciated the audacity. I thought the storytelling from Jorge Fornes, who was terrific, was just on point. I love the little Tom King white lines they've been using since Mr. Miracle to show movement. So we get a lot of them with the swords. Usually we just get them with people dipping food into dip. (laughs) Right. Especially in, was that Mr. Miracle? It was Mr. Miracle, yeah. Yeah. I thought the actual structure of the fight was well told and there were reveals that was reveals about one of the guys having powers there was another reveal Mm -hmm. later on tom king's all about structure and thought it was really well done and well told and then it doesn't end the way you think it's gonna end no not at all they both kind of die and then keep the argument going in the afterlife or wherever they are which i thought was very funny if they are in fact dead and in the afterlife and still arguing about philosophy i respected it for the audacity even if it was a little exhausting personally if I had not chickened out and taken on the pick, this might well have been it for me. Wow. All right. Because, I mean, it's chapter nine of a DC comic, which yeah. to keep in universe is about the closest thing to kryptonite for me you could possibly get. <laughs> but until I saw Tom King's name and I knew everything was going to be okay. This guy is the master of telling these stories about characters in the DC universe I've never heard about. I don't know who they are. I don't know what they are. And by the end of it, I'm emotionally invested and I love each and every one of them and I care about what's going to happen. And this was no exception. I was like, okay, hopefully through context clues, I'm going to figure out who these people are and what is going on. I think I did. You haven't read this series. No, I was so blind. I wasn't sure which guy I was supposed to be rooting for. Okay, okay, all right. (laughs) Bob's name is Codename Assassin. That's Bob's name. (laughs) And you forgot that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I got a lot on my mind. Yeah. I will say this. This is the one series that is pushing the boundaries of your Tom King philosophy in that yeah. Most of the characters in the book are like D-level DC characters that I have never even heard of from, like pulled out right. from the 70s. Like Jeff Reed knows who they all are. And I'm not kidding. He wrote us an email about it. Oh, good. <laughs> it's been a really interesting and fun 
book, but I'm still not even sure what it's about. We're nine and 12 right. into this. But this particular one-shot issue, I think, as Jim said, you can just pick it up and read it because it's just a fight for two characters. Yeah. You know what they want. In the beginning, it's established what each character wants. So you don't have to worry about that. It's really just how he makes this work. Right. Because they spend the whole quote unquote fight talking about what counts as a victory and, you know, what goals each person is trying to achieve because they're trying to figure out who the true winner is or who's superior or whatever. And so they spend the whole time talking about the philosophy of or like the rules of the game, basically. They spend more time talking about the rules of the fight than they do fighting to the point where they both kill each other and then wake up in the afterlife and immediately pick up right where they left off. But who really won this fight? Yeah. I really respected it. I was like, wow, we're really doing this. Yeah. It was just a goddamn delight. And every page I turned, I was like, wow, we're just going to do this the whole time, huh? Like, <laughs> it's really it's, funny because I, I did, just so everyone knows, I did offer Jim to have the pick. Yes. Jim's a longtime member of the family, so I, was, I wanted to he's give him the chance. He's a gracious host. And he said, no, 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 I don't want it. If you had taken and you'd pick Danger Street, I think I would have fallen out of my chair. <laughs> Let's talk about a book I did not read, From the World of Minor Threats, The Alternates, number one. Speaking of uh, memory tests, it'll be fun for me to try to explain this. It was written by Patton Oswalt, Tim Seeley, and Jordan Blum. Two mm-hmm. of them being from the Hulu's Modoc television series. Okay. Uh, art was by yep. Christopher Mitten. I gather that this is a spinoff of that other book they've been doing, which I had not read. Yeah, the other book's called Minor Threats, I believe. I believe Josh was reading or read it. I don't remember, but I, I've, it's definitely been talked about. I don't know anything about it. I don't remember anything. Funnily enough, neither do I, even after reading this. But this book is about <laughs> the team that was considered like the B team for those guys. They were, I don't know where the characters from the other book were, but these these characters were tasked with dealing with a dimensional rift in the sky. You know, the the classic sky portal that we've all, all of us uh, cinephiles have grown to know and love. And and, uh, in so doing, they all got stuck on the other side of the dimensional rift leading alternate lives. And now they are back where they belong and kind of coping psychologically with the fact that they were different people very recently. Interesting. To some degree, all of them are doing badly to the point where they have to have a weekly like AA support group meeting to talk about how they're reintegrating into their true selves. So they, so just like they went through this portal and they lived different lives for a while. Now they're back in their old lives and they're not having a good time. Right, right. Because like, there is a character the the point of view character is this woman who can change any part of her body into that of a classic monster. Like, she can have Dracula's arm and a wolfman head and whatever else. In this alternate dimension, I think she was queen of the vampires. I want to say. Right. She was a wolf most of the time and she was in tune with nature and she had found her place and she was great. There's another guy who's a monster like uh, he looks like he's made out of shellfish is the best way I can put it. And in the alternate dimension was like king of the sea. He was telepathically linked to everything maritime on the planet. And now, as I think he puts it in the book, now he's just the asshole who comes back from the grocery store with the wrong milk. Right. He's having a very hard time dealing with it. And it's fascinating to see. I've, it, it, it's exploring these totally outlandish topics with more depth and seriousness and length of introspection than you usually get from this sort of thing, basically. Like Captain America, when I was still on the treadmill, was like living in Baron Zemo dimension for like yeah. 10 years and raised a child. Right. And it, that seems to have had no impact on him whatsoever in the intervening time. And this is kind of the antidote to that. And I thought it was very thoughtful. 
It's interesting. It's, um, you know, whenever I watch like a film where like the character goes through like this crazy journey, usually like they save the world, like, like Lord of the Rings or something. Uh-huh. I always wonder after the movie ends, how they cope with just going back to going to the grocery store, you know, like, yeah, I just spent three months saving the world and now I've got to pay my taxes and park this car. And it's just, it's always something I think about in those kind of movies. I have a feeling there are some veterans our age who could talk about this at length. Oh, for sure. For sure. <laughs> but I just mean like, especially when it's like fantastical, like I was just fighting demons on Mars yeah, and now yeah. I'm back in Ohio <laughs> That's right. You know, going to work. And it's just like, what's that like? Well, that is exactly what this book is about. So, Interesting. Well, something to keep in mind. You know, I feel like all your years of Marvel fandom really paid off this <laughs> this week because I feel like every Marvel book was a starting point for a new storyline. I really fell ass backward into a pot of gold here between <laughs> all the number ones and the bottle episode of Danger Street. It was like they knew I was coming. So was The Incredible great. Hulk 785 or 4 is um, <laughs> the start of a new arc. This arc is, as the previous arc written by Philip Kennedy Johnson, but this one features art by Travel Foreman. Let's back it up. You didn't read The Immortal Hulk Run by Al Ewing, did you? Oh, yeah, I have. Okay. I'm, I'm pretty, I think I finished that. Yeah. So I don't know when it was, I mean, I guess it was then, it was decided that let's just make Hulk all about body horror, but they just did. Yes. They just leaned into it. That book was all about body horror. This book has been pretty body horrific for the most part. I was actually mm-hmm. about halfway through and I was like, could this be the pick of the week? And then it got all gross and body horror at the end. And I was <laughs> yes. like, I don't, I can't reward it. That is not my bag. Although it, it seems like tailor made to travel foreman though. 100%. So travel foreman really changed his style. I don't know exactly what it happened, but it was very apparent in 2011 with the new 52 when he showed up on animal man, very different than what he used to do on iron fist. And he sort of became the monster guy at DC. And when I first started reading this, I was like, Oh man, this is terrific. This is really working for this story. It's of Bruce Banner on the run with, this teenage sidekick as they encounter all these sort of Southern Gothic monsters. Yeah. And then we get a man thing story and I'm glad you're here because <laughs> I know, obviously know who man thing is. And I always think he's cool looking and I think design's cool. And whenever it shows up, interesting things tend to happen. I just don't know anything about man thing. His touch burns and yes, he's like a portal. Any man who knows fear burns at the touch of the man thing, which I don't know why that happened to the Hulk, but I, but I guess he also had the man thing had something he doesn't usually have, which was an agenda, right? He's usually like a mindless shambling beast, but I guess they've decided that that is not a character that you can build a story around. And so So they've given him more agency. Yes. Now he's got a Hulk problem. He's got a little boy inside of him as well. And that's Ted Salas. Did you, have you been watching any of the Marvel series on Disney Plus? Did you see Werewolf by Night by any chance? I didn't see that one. I did not know why I was watching it up until the moment that Man Thing came onto the screen, which P.S. Hmm. happened. And on that show, they just call him Ted because they're not going to goddamn call him Man Thing Man, on, right, <laughs> on right. Disney Plus. But it's so interesting to see the various levels. Like the reason you don't know anything about him, I think, is because you haven't missed anything. Okay. He really is purely mindless. He just goes towards emotions and then they use that like Steve Gerber in particular in the seventies fellow slew grad. He used that as like the man thing would go towards a story and you would kind of watch that story. And I think it's cool. I think there's something to that type of character that sort of just shambles into something and some Mm -hmm. things happen. But here he touches Banner. Banner burns. Maybe Banner's scared. I guess Banner is scared. But then out pops the Hulk through the body of the man thing. And I was once Hulk's arm popped out of his back and I went, no, 
<laughs> I can't. Right. I can't abide this. We just got to get back to regular Hulk. I don't need to have yeah. someone's face melting every time the Hulk shows up. Well, and that was but, why it was. But however, such I really a... liked the story. I thought it was fun. Yeah. I think Man Thing's a fun foil for the Hulk and whatever they've got going on here. Because we're not exactly question. There's a monster in the swamp that's making you know people from the past who have died show up and have you come into the swamp where you die. Yeah, it's kind of like Swamp Thing, which is what Man Thing. They kind of are the same kind of character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I liked it. I thought it was fun. Travel Foreman, I thought it was terrific. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's, I think, an automatic buy for me. And his man thing was cool because he wasn't like, you know, sometimes man things drawn like like a, like 12 feet tall and like four tons. But this yes. is like, he's just kind of like a bigger man here. Mm-hmm. He's probably like nine feet tall, but he's not like giant. He's got like a waist and everything. Yes. He is man-sized and man-shaped. Yeah. So I, I, I liked it. It was good. Yeah. I made a few picks myself, uh, yeah. a book called St. John Number 1 from Dark Horse. The story is by Dan Schade. Schade? I don't, I apologize. Schade. I don't know. Brennan Wagner. And this is where they almost lost me right away. One of the co-writers is a clothing brand. <laughs> I can't recall ever seeing that before. I thought you were joking originally when you told nope. me. And then I, I, I looked it up. It's a comic and partnership with a company called Portland Gear that is yes. creating the first Portland-centric superhero, which I feel like we've had before, but whatever doesn't matter. Oh my God. This is Dark Horse? All they talk about is Portland. Yes, this is Dark Horse. By the way, Dan Schkade Schkade did the art as well. The Mm -hmm. reason I picked this book is because I have seen his comics, his cartoons on Instagram. And so I've been following on Instagram for a while. And then I got to do the pick of the week and I looked and the little cartoonist guy uh, (laughs) had drawn a book. So so was it good? Did you buy much Portland gear stuff after you read uh, it? Yes. Yes. I, I, I cannot stop talking about Oregon now. I am positively insufferable. There's a big package coming with lots of pants. <laughs> yes. I called them and said, I have a payola offer for you. And they <laughs> jumped on it. Okay. So in short, the story is about a New York journalist who comes to Portland, Oregon, because she's heard about a new do-gooder masked vigilante on the streets of Portland that sounds like it would be an interesting story. And this book is essentially about an iFanboy patron power. Okay. <laughs> because the guy she runs into, his superpower is... He always knows where something is going on in Portland so that he can get there to stop it. So he knows something bad's happening. Yes. Okay. That's interesting. He knows that a kitten is falling out of a tree 10 blocks away and he will stop his conversation with you to run over there and catch and so it. That's, and that's his power, but he, does he have strength and speed or just the intuitive? Well, thing? I see. Now I really feel like we're doing the patron power because like – uh because he he doesn't really need speed because he knows when he needs to leave. Oh, he's, he knows <laughs> enough time to get there. I see. Okay. Yes, yes. He hears Portland telling him somebody is stealing the Stumptown Arabica beans or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Like you know, so he knows to get there in time. Actually, there's even a Stumptown coffee reference in the book. If you got any great Rucka fans out there, yeah. And the and the New York journalist is presented as very condescending and full of herself. Sure. I think every single person involved in this book lives in Portland, Oregon, and has something to say about it. Is he presented as like a superhero or as like one of those like real life superhero people? He's presented more like one of those real life superhero people. Okay. I would keep trying to remember the name. So of it's the not guy. like a world where people are like, oh, it's a superhero. It's more like, hey, no, it's like no, I no. superhero. Yeah, like whoever. I think that guy was from Oregon, actually, like Lightning Johnson or whatever his name There's was. A couple a few of years them. Ago. Yeah, he seems to be one of those, but one of those guys would not know that these neighbors over on Maple Street are having a fight that he needs to break up before a dog gets shot. For oh, jeez. I have to say, it's an interesting idea for a power, and it's an interesting execution of it. Yeah. I am interested. Was it worth it? Did you like it? Uh, yeah, yeah. I really like this guy's 
Shkegeshkadi's style. He leans more into the cartoony side of things, but I like his lines. I don't have much of a vocabulary when it comes to describing comic art, but mm-hmm. I know what I likes, and I like that. I looked at it briefly on the website because I just didn't know what it was. And I, I remember, yeah, I don't remember. I didn't look at any interiors, but interesting, interesting. Did Portland Gear finance this book? <laughs> I, I knew I when I saw their name at all, I knew more than I wanted to, so I did not pursue interesting that line of inquiry. I wanted to briefly mention uh, Green Lantern number three. The reason being that I started reading it and I was like, when was the last time this comic came out? And I had <laughs> I was like, it had to have been like three months ago. I was like a hell of a delay. And then I realized, oh no, it was that goddamn night terror event. Oh sure. For whatever reason, Green Lantern, I was just in my brain, I was like, I don't even remember where we are in the story. Whatever what is happening during Night Terrors, it made no impression on you whatsoever. Oh, I didn't even read any of it. All I know is I started reading this and I was like, I don't remember anything. What the hell happened? <laughs> I mean, we talked about this after the issue two when they said they were taking a break for Night Terrors. Like, what a terrible time to stop your story, you know, right as it's getting started after two issues. But the Zermenico, Hermonico art was <laughs> just gorgeous. I think he's terrific. Yeah. Not much happened in the issue. So Sinestro does some stuff. Sinestro and Hal finally confront each other at a bar at the end. But I wouldn't say this was very memorable other than the fact that I couldn't remember what had happened previously. I I was like, why is it so late? And I, oh, right. That goddamn thing. I also could not remember what happened in the last issue. Well, that's because you didn't read it. Yeah. And then the, the backup story, as we've been mentioning, is so sort of out there and not relevant that I've been reading it, but I just don't care. And it leads into a new Green Lantern series, War Journal, that starts next. I think it's next week or whatever. I don't know. It was confusing enough for me that when the Wonder Woman preview followed it up, I wasn't oh, sure yeah. if I was still reading the same story or not. I did that too. I, I was mm. like, oh, there's more story. And then I was like, nope, that's <laughs> not, that's not, that's not Green Lantern. No. I stopped immediately because I didn't want to read any of it until the issue comes out. Yeah, no, I did the same thing. I kept scrolling and I was like, why is there a, I was like, there's a post-credit sequence. And I was like, nope, that's Wonder Woman. <laughs> nope. I mean, it wasn't bad. I just, it just, right. it was so sort of slight after such a long break that they really needed to do something more, I think, with that yeah. issue. And finally, Werewolf by Night, the aforementioned Werewolf by Night. This was also in the pick of the week running, which yeah, I was surprised by. Yeah, pleasant surprise, yeah. I'll be honest, I read it only because it was in the patron pick running. It was neck and neck for a while with the winner. So I was like, oh, I better read them both just to be sure. Yeah. And I was about halfway through and I was like, damn, this is really good. Yeah. Derek Landy and Fran Galan. And it's just a one-shot story of werewolf by night and elsa bloodstone trying to rescue this girl who's been kidnapped by a a nefarious german count but in america that was my one disappointment when i got to the end of it and it was not part one of a continuing series yeah marvel's been doing this where they just sort of drop a a sort of a one shot to either keep the copyright or because the characters (laughs) in the news or whatever but yeah i absolutely loved the art that was black and white whenever it was about werewolf by night it was a color when it was about elsa bloodstone and then when they come together Everything's black and white but her and the red eyes of the bad guys. I thought it was so cool looking. Yeah. It took me a minute to catch on. And when I did, it was like that scene where uh, Dorothy arrives in Munchkinland. I was like, oh, the she's color in it. I mean, the only downside was I thought – I'm not a big World of Night person, but I thought that was Beast in the very first page. I was like, is yeah, that? Yeah. That is not a design I'm familiar with. Because he just doesn't look like a werewolf. Yeah, I thought it was fun. I thought that their relationship was fun. They were, you know, they, they were sort of exes and they had like a nice sort of flirty energy between them. I thought the monster stuff was cool. I just had a blast reading this. I just really, I really did. I mean, not, not a huge horror person, but I am a universal monsters person. And yeah, so sure. this was fun. And then I thought the coda was funny where, you know, they've been flirting the whole time and mm-hmm. they defeat the guy and then they land back in the color world and 
not that it's just for us, it's separate. Right. And Werewolf by Night's ready to consummate this adventure, and she sees him turn back to a man, and he's kind of dirty and scruffy, and yes. she's like, uh, why don't you shave next time, and maybe we'll talk about it. It was fun. I thought it was super fun. Yeah, that was the best Elsa that has been since Next Wave. Yeah. All right, so those are the books we want to talk about. Again, it was a strange light week. It was very strange. But... Yes. As always, on the show, the patrons at patreon.com slash ifanboy get to vote to add a book to the rundown. It's called The Patron Pick, and this week, neck and neck with Werewolf by Night was Avengers, Inc., Avengers Incorporated, number one, written by Al Ewing, art by Leonard Kirk, colors by Alex Sinclair, and letters by Corey Pettit. And this is kind of a sequel to Al Ewing's to, not kind of, it seems seems to be a sequel to Al Ewing's Wasp and then, or his Ant-Man and then his Wasp miniseries that he did. You're telling me that Al Ewing do, did those uh, will keep me from removing them from my bookmark list because I, I wouldn't normally read those. But Al Ewing is another one that's almost an automatic buy for me to say nothing of Leonard Kirk. And so this is it's kind of a wasp detective story. And I do have to take issue with the lies in the cover, but we'll get to that in a second. <laughs> but it's very much sort of structured and written like a sort of a noir story. The wasp has a voiceover, you know, narrating the events of the murder mystery. And so it's very much in that vein. Someone murdered a bunch of villains in the raft and she's investigating how that happened. She's been tasked by Mayor Luke Cage to do so. What did you think? On Earth, Jimski, Wilson Fisk is the mayor. So this was, a, <laughs> this was a real... He's the White King. Okay, well, this was a real catching up to speed on the old status quo. Right. And again, 1985 rules. I didn't know it. Now I do. I'm excited to go back and see how we got there. So yeah, I thought it was really interesting. And as Al Ewing, he of the Hulk body horror himself uh, mm-hmm. usually is... So basically, I gather that there are no superheroes allowed in New York. So the Wasp has been contracted by the mayor to investigate these closed room mysteries out of costume. They make a point of saying several times as almost looking into the camera as they do so. There will not be costumes in this book. Right. It appears that their remit is to just solve super murders. I will say, because you're not reading. The whole no superheroes in New York thing is very loosely enforced in the books. Not all the books abide by that status quo. However, so tell me if I'm wrong here. None of them were actually killed. Whirlwind guy has got something going on with him that I, as a looker at covers, would categorize as vision-y. He wakes up with a gem in his forehead like the vision. He seems to have the vision's powers. He has memories of a crazy bearded man doing surgery on him. The reveal at the end is the crazy bearded man is Hank Pym. Who was Talk doing about something being behind the status quo. Yeah, who was doing something <laughs> with Eric O'Grady in the bowels of somewhere. Yeah. It's just so somewhere else. We don't know where they are. Right. He somehow turned Whirlwind, the villain, into a Vision-esque person. But yes, I was annoyed because of the cover, they color him to look like the Vision. It's a very stylized cover. It looks kind of like a yeah. Greg Smallwood ripoff. It's, it's Daniel Cunha is terrific, but it's kind of like a Greg Smallwood on the Human Target ripoff. But he's got red skin, kind of green hair. So I thought it was the Vision and the Wasp, and it wasn't just the Wasp and Whirlwind who looks like the Vision and has his powers. So I was kind of annoyed by that. It never occurred to me for a moment that that guy on the cover was anyone other than the Vision. Right. I thought you, he was you just... wouldn't. I mean, that's why they did yeah. it. But the setup was interesting. Leonard Kirk's art was solid. I don't think it was spectacular. I don't think it was the best I've ever seen from him. But yeah. storytelling-wise, it was strong. It was a fun issue. 
I don't know oh, if it's yeah, a miniseries yeah, yeah. or if it's an ongoing. Don't, they don't usually tell you till the second issue. These days, they kind of declare the miniseries when they're going to get canceled, don't they? I mean, they or or maybe it'd be better to say they they plan to do five, and by then they'll know if they can do a six or not. Yeah, it depends. It really depends. I think they sort of embraced the miniseries lately, but they yeah. usually still don't tell you until the second issue because some people still won't buy miniseries. Yeah. Overall, I thought it was interesting. So as someone who has been absent from reading every week, did you enjoy it? Oh, yeah. I was right back in and he set up a mystery that I want to see the solution to. And, you know, I, I like Luke Cage. Uh, I like Janet. I sometimes like Hank. Uh, you know, so, <laughs> so when this comes out, when it reaches these shores, I'm going to follow it through all the way to the end. It has a very self-consciously mid-century modern aesthetic where... Yeah. You know, she's got this secret club in, is it, where, what's the building it's in? It's, uh, I thought it was Avengers Tower and it's called like the Jarvis Lounge or something. It's in Avengers Tower and that's where the headquarters of the Avengers team is, although none of them use it. But the top floor of the Avengers Tower is an Avengers only cocktail bar. Yeah. Where only members of the Avengers can hang out. And so that's kind of where the headquarters for this Avengers Incorporated detective squad is. And it's Wasp and it's whirlwind and luke cage is also there because he's sort of their <laughs> right. he's sort of their charlie and then jarvis is there pouring the drinks and they have martini glasses she's wearing sort of right. chic clothes he's got a suit like he's got a nice suit it's like a madman magazine illustration yeah yeah so i'm curious to see where this goes the mystery i thought the reveal was interesting and yeah i was able to put aside my annoyance at the cover <laughs> Yes. And it looks like next issue's cover shows the actual Vision butting heads with the, this new Vision guy. His name is Victor Shade, which is the Vision's name. So what's going on? We don't know, but we'll find out. Yes, we will. Will we find out? Are you sticking with this book? Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm going to ride it all the way home, but I, I won't get to issue two for about four months. Right. So, so next time I invite you on, in four years, you'll have caught up. <laughs> yes. I will only have one issue left by then. I'll stick with issue two. I'll read issue two to see what's up. It's got enough rope for me to keep going. What That's is your right. rating on this? Ratings out of five oh, stars. Gosh. On this issue? I haven't thought about this in. I, I, I'd, give it, I'd, give it a good, I'd give it a good four. Four. I'm going to go three and a half. I think it was solid. I think it's not going to blow anyone's socks off, but I think it's solid and no. interesting and fun. I will say, if you're the type of person who, for example, has been reading these things since 1983, it will not be the same old, same old. It's a different take, right? So yeah. there's a super fun, straight down the middle Avengers action book right now, which is really fun. I've been enjoying it. This is mm-hmm. a different kind of story. This is a sexy, mid-century modern detective story. That's sort of the aesthetic of that. those two miniseries were, were sort of like that. So if you want a different kind of Avengers or superhero story, this is worth checking out, I think. I think you just changed my evening plans. I got to go fire up Unlimited and look at this. <laughs> <laughs> the Ant Chronicles over here. So that's the patron pick, Avengers Inc. Number one. Thanks to every patron who voted. Patreon.com slash iFanboy. Everyone who's a patron has an option or an opportunity to vote. We thank all those who do. And patreon.com slash ifanboy is where the people go who directly want to support the show. They listen to the show and they say, I like what they're doing. I like that they do six to eight shows a month. I want to support them. I want them to keep going. And that's the place to do it. That's how you directly support the show. That's how you become part of a great community. There's a Discord community. There's a Facebook community. And that's where you go if you want to be a part of the monthly patron hangouts, which we do. We have another one coming up, I think, in two weeks. So thanks to all those who are patrons. We really couldn't do the show without you. We couldn't pay the bills without you. And uh, we do appreciate that. We appreciate that you've considered the show worthy enough of your entertainment time to support it. I'd like to thank you. If I'm at is our t-shirt store. There's 13 designs there. You can find them all on not just on t-shirts, but also all kinds of items. Answer me this. Do you Are you selling power and responsibility again? Yes. 
I went to put it on uh, for Spider Verse and I couldn't find mine. Well, I gotta come you back. can find it at fanboy.threadless.com, Jim. They have them there. Fanboy.com slash support is, uh, you know, it's funny. I have a coworker who bought that shirt. Yeah. Doesn't listen to the show. Reads comics, but doesn't listen to the show. He just looked mm-hmm. me up when I got hired and saw that I had this thing. And he, he went to the story. So he locked it. He right. bought the shirt. And then one day when I was visiting the office a couple months ago, he was wearing it. And like, it's such a, <laughs> it's such a common image in my head that I didn't mm-hmm. even, at first I was like, oh, cool. The power response for the shirt. And I kept walking. I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> I turned back around and I was like, what are you doing? <laughs> He's like, I was waiting for you to notice that. Cause it just, it just didn't even register. It's like, oh, there's the shirt. Yeah. When worlds collide. He just liked, he liked the design. I appreciate that. I always liked that design. Yeah. com slash support is our digital PayPal tip jar. That's where you can go. If you're an eccentric billionaire and decide you need to unload some money before the government gets it, feel free, feel free to drop it in your favorite <laughs> podcast, digital tip jar. We won't even ask you where you got it from. <laughs> None of my business. What nefarious means it was purloined. Uh, Fanboy.com slash Amazon is our Amazon store where you can find our Booksplode books. You can find a shopping link. It's all there. And then bookshop.org is our partner where we should help local bookstores. You can find those links on the Booksplode shows. That's where I do all my book shopping. And it helps local bookstores, which are the lifeblood of our community and society. And uh, thanks for all the ways you support the show. We really do appreciate it. We make our dumb jokes during this segment, but we couldn't do the show without you. We really do mean that. And thank you very much. All right. If you're a patron at the $5 or higher level, one of the rewards you get, in addition to the tier merch, which I didn't even mention, the tier specific merch you get as being a patron, it's our new thing. At the $5 or higher level, you get a superpower live on the show. It's a patron power. It is bestowed upon you live by one of the hosts. And this week, Jim is that host. (laughs) And I know you wanted to get Josh, but bear with me. (laughs) <laughs> is the patron Ray Cook? Do I have patron that Patron right? is Ray Cook, yes. He has precognition, but only as it pertains to whether the drive through is going to screw up his order or not. Oh. Very okay. limited. And if I may be, in my opinion, more of a curse than a blessing, because the only thing you can do with it is correct them on a mistake they haven't made yet. Right. You can't stop it. You just know what's yes. going to happen. You're just that guy at the box going, no pickles. I say again, you hear me? No pick. And building up like this Larry David resentment Question. transaction. Yeah. Is it just that he knows it's going to happen or does he know the specific mistake that's going to be? To be honest, he doesn't use the drive through very often at all anymore yeah. because he knows before he ever gets there, he's not getting that egg McMuffin. He knows exactly what the mistake's going to be. Oh yeah. Yeah. So theoretically, when handed the bag of food, he could immediately hand it back and say, I'm sorry, I asked, <laughs> I asked for no pickles. I suppose that's true. And they would they would give him a death stare, but they wouldn't. Oh, they wouldn't. Yeah, it wouldn't go well for him. I'm just saying he could <laughs> theoretically right. just immediately t- turn around and be like, I'm sorry, I asked for large. You can tell what a milk toast, passive aggressive person I am that it didn't even occur to me that he would wait till he got up to their faces before he confronted them. Well, he would ostensibly have evidence at that point. Yeah, exactly. That's a good thought. All right, there you go. Patreon.com slash iFanboy. Thanks for being a patron, Ray. We appreciate it. At the $5 or higher level, you get your superpower live on the show. Hope you enjoyed it. I think we can do an email. Let's do one. Yeah. From Mike H. from Buffalo, New York, one of our regular emailers. Mike says, so in the midst of one Hickman seed series and on the verge of another, I began wondering, is Jonathan Hickman covertly making the entire Marvel Universe into villains? In his Avengers run, he had the Illuminati, including Reed Richards and Tony Stark, becoming essentially mass murderers by destroying the incurring Earth. In his X-Men run, before abandoning the Krakoa story, he turned the X-Men into isolating fascists, and every story involved former heroes and villains at shadowy meetings around tables. So, which Marvel heroes will Hickman be villainizing next? In my role as Jimsky, I feel honor-bound to report Jonathan Hickman also blew up Rom's planet. 
in that run. Did that hurt you personally? Galador. Yes. It deeply wounded me as the only person on earth who cares about Rom. I, I, was, I, I, I took some, some solace in the fact that Galador was still out there and then he done blowed it up. Well, I can't speak to the Avengers run because I didn't read his Avengers run. After a few issues, I bailed, but I did read his X-Men run. The answer is not necessarily no, but I think all he's doing is really continuing on from what sort of Marvel's ethos has been since Civil War, in which the heroes always seem to be the bad guys in some way. Or, or the heroes are always fighting, fighting each, each other. other. And, yeah. so, and when they do that, someone's got to be the bad guy, right? There's got to be a reason to fight. Yeah. Even if it's in their own minds or the minds of whoever it is. But it's kind of been, was it 2004? Was that when the Civil War was? 2006? We literally had this discussion on the show recently. I don't remember what it was. <laughs> well, I'm trying to remember. I believe I was working for you when Civil War started. Well, either way, it's been a long yeah. time. Yeah, and yes. that's kind of been the ethos of Marvel is the gray area between the heroes. But you know, maybe they destroyed that incurring Earth because it was the only way to save everyone on Earth. And so sometimes the hard choices have to be made. doesn't necessarily mean they're villains. But I didn't read it, so I don't know. Did you read it? Well, I mean, to be honest, I found the Avengers run to be nigh impenetrable but i did read the hell out of the x-men one and but i only just thinking this now both the x-men run and the avengers run sort of take what those groups claim to be about and mm-hmm. push it as far as it can go which is makes sense I think. yeah the avengers will protect the earth at the expense of the multiverse you know right or the x-men will protect the mutants if they have to build a walled garden around themselves and abandon the rest of the planet what did we know about that incurring Earth anyway? Maybe it was it was an Earth full of dicks. We don't know. Everyone's an asshole on that planet. Exactly right. Everyone's rolling up their blazer sleeves, <laughs> which I've been seeing out in the world, and I don't I don't like it. Taking their shoes off on the plane. Exactly, you that could have been everyone yeah. on that planet. Mm-hmm. And therefore, they deserve yeah. to be destroyed. I think your observation is a good one. He's just taking the he's playing with the logical progression of yeah of what these people are about. We, we joked a lot on the show about the accident being you know, sort of fascistic and evil and turning themselves into villains. I don't necessarily think sitting around a table in shadowy meetings means you're a villain. (laughs) I mean, sometimes what you're meeting about, maybe the the power's out and you don't have anything else, you know, anywhere else to meet. But (laughs) we definitely used to joke about Dexman being bad. We definitely used to get a lot of emails about it. But yeah, it's kind of what he's exploring, I guess, is what does it mean to be these characters? How do you take your ethos to the edge, to the edge of the envelope? Yeah, I mean, because you really can't go much further than protecting the Earth by destroying every other Earth. Right. Oh, we don't know them. You no, know? no, we don't. But I have a feeling we're going to get to know them. In well, the, the, the answer to his last question is, who is he going to villainize next? I assume one of these characters from the gods book that I don't know who they are, what they say, what anything about them, but they seem to have that sketchy aura about them. So I assume that's what he's doing. Or there'll be some sort of exploration of that. Have you read any of that stuff? Because is this sort of in the modern books that you're behind? Which stuff are we even talking about? Right. So in the last couple of months, they're building up to a book called Gods with, you know, G-O-D-S, uh, acronym that he's writing. And for the last couple of months, random pages of comics have been written by Hickman teasing this God story. Like in the, in the middle of your Captain America book, there'll be a page featuring these God's characters that Hickman wrote with no context. Mm-hmm. They're not continuing. They're just random pages yes with characters that no one knows anything about and so there's no context for anything he does interesting enough work that i'm going to at least check it out because it doesn't always connect with me like the avengers run i stopped reading after like three or four issues but yeah it's always interesting at least it's always a you know like that's a noble experiment that's a noble try but i I don't think mike is wrong about hickman sort of taking them to the edge of moral activity he certainly seems to have a dim view of humanity, but maybe I'm just projecting. Well, it's been a hard decade. Yes, it has. For everybody. So thanks for writing in. Mike, contact.fanboy.com is how Mike wrote in. 
You can also write in for our Media Explode show. That's our non-comics media show we do once a month. The Patreon's unlocked, and you can put Media Explode in the contact line for that. Or the subject line. I don't know why every time I have to forget <laughs> how email works. So let's plug some shows. Three weeks yeah. ago, we had our Talksplode featuring Rick Remender that Josh interviewed him. Our most prolific Talksplode guest returned. And you can check that out on the feed. Also, the week after that, two weeks ago, we had our Media Explode show where we did our 80s comedy draft. We picked five 80s comedy movies in a draft form. Oh, I saw that. Yeah. I- we excluded the classics like Ghostbusters or action movies that are funny like Beverly Hills Cops. We just decided to pick the pure comedy mm-hmm. movie draft. And we had a lot of fun doing that. So how many police academies were there? Just one made oh. it onto the draft. Oh, and okay. not the one you'd probably expect. <laughs> this coming week, in fact, this, I hope, well, hopefully, we haven't recorded it yet, but this coming week should be our Booksplode review of the Death of Superman 30th Anniversary Edition that came out last year. Josh and I are going to talk about that book. For some reason, it doesn't come out. Something happened. <laughs> That's planned for this coming week. And then the week after that, next week, is our next Media Splode. Don't know what it's going to be about yet. We didn't decide on the 80s comedy draft until that morning, so we don't know. Sometimes we leave some room to figure it out. Keep it loosey-goosey, you know? And then the big one is... In just four weeks is the pick of the week, number 900. <laughs> and we're going to do it live as always. So you know how this works. If you're a longtime listener, if you're a new listener, here's how it works. We're going to talk about the pick of the week. We're going to do the patron pick, then spend the next two hours and 45 minutes-esque answering your emails. So we need a bunch of emails. Send them in, starting now to contact.fanboy.com. Put 900 in the subject line so we know to quarantine them off and not answer them in the next couple of weeks. The deadline to send them in is end of day, October 11th. That's a Wednesday because we're going to be recording the show or or streaming the show and recording the show Thursday, October 12th at 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern. Normally we do these shows on a Friday. Unfortunately, real life is intruding on that, so we have to do it (laughs) Thursday. Hopefully you'll come join us. It's usually about a three and a half hour recording session. We (laughs) stay at 6 o'clock. We usually don't start until closer to 6.30 because we sort of let everybody settle in, let everybody show up. We get settled in. is known as pre-gaming on the recording side. If yeah, I, we normally mm-hmm. just you know hang out for a little while, let everyone sort of get there. But you can join at any time during the night. There'll be a post about it on fanboy.com featuring the link. It'll be on our YouTube page, youtube.com slash fanboy. Anniversary trivia on episode 100, which was live in a comic book shop, I believe. Yeah, it was. Yeah. The fellers congratulated me on the birth of my daughter. And right around the time they're recording episode 900, I will be taking her for her driving test. Cool. Don't ever say anything like that again. <laughs> I thought you might say that. <laughs> it's been a lot. It's yeah. been a long time, but uh, yeah. that's awesome. So yeah, so 900 live. Send in your emails, contact.fanboy.com, 900 in the subject line. We're recording Thursday, October 12th at 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern. There'll be posts for that on ifanboy.com. It'll be on youtube.com slash ifanboy. You can, there'll be links to those things on social media. Hopefully you'll come and enjoy it with us. We don't know what we're doing. Probably just the regular thing, but uh, 900 is crazy and yeah. we look forward to it. We always have fun doing it. And you can find our library of our 1,300 shows, including our almost 900 Pick of the Week shows over at ifanboy.com or wherever podcasts are sold. And you can follow us at ifanboycomics on Instagram to find out what the Pick of the Week is before the show comes out. And sometimes... This weekend, yes, the best of the weekend panels. I've already posted one, so it's definitely mm-hmm. happening. Yeah. Follow us individually. C.S. Kilpatrick on Instagram. J.A. Flanagan on Instagram. Jimski. Yes. J-I-M-S-K-I on Instagram. And are you also still on the other one? I am keeping an account up. I am on Blue Sky as oh, Jimski. Blue Sky. I have five invites if anybody wants them. It's Jack Dorsey's new thing. That's where people can come and watch you slowly devolve. Well, that ship has sailed, my friend, but they can look <laughs> at the puddle of goo. Maybe they'll get me to uh, write another thousand words about something that happened in comics this week if they play their cards right. So you can follow Jim there. Josh and I are all on Instagram. 
Subscribe to youtube.com slash iFanboy where you'll find all the old video shows and uh, they post this show every week. You were on one of the old video shows. You were on one of the San Diego episodes. Yes. The one time the one time that Connor called me up and said, hey, did you say you've never been to Comic-Con? And I said, yeah. And he's like, would you like to sleep in a bathtub? I said, <laughs> I, I can sleep in a bathtub. And in, the, in those days, we crammed a lot of people into those hotels. Yeah. And, then, and the next thing I knew, as a matter of fact, I think we recorded an anniversary show in the hotel room or it was it was a pick of the week for it wasn't Spider-Man. An anniversary show. it was it was, a, it was Spider-Man the anniversary, 800 or something spider-man 600 the anniversary yeah. shows are always in the fall so it's always after yeah. Comic-Con. Yeah, yeah 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 yes uh, back, that was back great then, i think we put like eight or nine people in a room back then yeah <laughs> I, I saw many of them back in my 20s when i could sleep on the floor of a hotel and be fine the next morning i did a whirlwind like 36 hours at san diego comic-con you lost your id yes i i lost my driver's license on the way there it made things interesting. But uh, yeah, Iron Man 2 and Twilight were in Hall H. That was the infamous Twilight Ruins Comic-Con year. But uh, it was magical. It was fun. That was a good time. Yeah. I mean, you were around yeah. when um, the heyday, like when we were going full blast. We had yep. columns every day. We had seven new podcasts a week. <laughs> yes. It was a real cocaine cowboys. It was a machine. <laughs> we were really yeah. cooking on all cylinders. Josh and I were doing it full time. So we yeah. could do all that stuff. You were paying people to write for you. I know. You're we paying our writers. It's great. I was an employee. You also came to C2E2 for one of us. I, I, I did a lot of C2E2s. I think my credit card bill is still at C2E2. But you can go find Jim on at least one of those old San Diego shows. I don't know. If, did, you ever, yeah. did you ever make an appearance on the C2E2 shows? I can't remember. I was in an intro to set to the song Like a Boss where I, I was licked my one. lips in slow yeah. motion. I can't remember what that one was. I do remember that at that C2E2, Allie and Timmy Wood and I tried to film our own video mm-hmm. as like the B team yeah. and we were going to be comically inept at it, but instead we were actually inept at it. So <laughs> it didn't uh, it didn't get made. These are the hardest working men in show business, listeners. Uh, pony up the patron bucks. Those were all also old yeah. staffers. So we had, you know, we had a good time. We had a good time. And it was always fun hanging out with everybody. So that is it. You can leave a review or star rating for this show or read list of podcasts. We thank you for doing that. But that's it for this week's show. Jim, I appreciate you coming on last minute as Josh left to go actually have some fun for once. Oh, right. Yeah. I'm happy he's doing so. And so thank you for coming on. I'm happy to do it. You can call me anytime. Everybody, Josh will be back next week. It's going to be fine. I think he's back next week. We'll find out. We'll see what yeah. happens. He may decide well, freedom is what he craves and stay away. I'm just glad to have gotten invited to the dance. Well, I appreciate you coming. I do. I always enjoy talking to you. And we'll be Same. back next time. Thanks, Jim. Until then, I'm Connor. And I am Jim. Thanks, everybody. My name is Saint Jim. I am the son of a kind. I am the one that's from the world sound. The teenagers are so Mexican. It's a fun and the cold of the right of crime now. I really hate to say it, but I told you so. So shut your mouth, boy. Shoot you down, oh boy. Welcome to the club and give me some blood. I'm the resident leader of the Russian crowd. It's called.